We're bringing in a box of fancy chocolates. Fancy today. To, to go with our fancy cocktails. With our fancy cocktails. It's a fancy podcast. This is a very fancy podcast. We're very fancy people. It's a high class affair. <laughs> Cheers. Another edition of the Daily Screening Podcast. My name, as always, is Daily. And joining me this week is my lovely wife, Jamie. Uh, Bart is out of town for the weekend. This is the I first. I thought I was going to get to be a partner. You want to be a partner in something? I you was can have. So excited. Well, I thought that might be the case, so I did think one up for you, just in case. You get to be my partner in cosmological crime. Cosmological. Cosmological, which is not cosmetological. That's mm, a different kind of crime. Thing. That's a much fancier kind of crime. <laughs> uh, but yes, no. Uh, Bart's out of town. This is, our, this is our first podcast sans Bartholomew. Oh, shed a shed a single tear for Bart, who's in New York. Womp womp. Womp womp. Uh, this week we're going to talk the theory of everything. Well, uh, it'll take a while. The Stephen Hawking biopic. Um, but, uh, of course, before we do that, we're going to talk some some news items. And I'm really excited about this because, you know, you're, you're here on the podcast with great frequency. Uh, but you always kind of sit out the news stuff. Yeah, why is that? Because I feel like you it have opinions forever. about these kinds of things. It takes it takes too long. That's what yes. you feel like. No, I do. Have Audience, a lot. do you agree? Does that take too yes. long? Should I be taking less time yes. in that segment? I yes, they agree. Or it should just be a separate <laughs> podcast. You should have two podcasts: one about the latest news and one about the movies. That thought has actually occurred to me before. I have kind of struggled with that uh, that decision a little bit. Because I will say that is my one thing about the podcast is I feel like it would be more consumable if it were shorter like two 45 minute podcasts yeah and because i feel and because like at least one person has mentioned to me like i really like listening to it i don't listen to all of them though they're just too long like when it That's takes fair. that long to listen to it requires more of a commitment see i guess i mean see i never i don't have that problem personally like i don't I only listen to a lot of podcasts i listen to a handful and i always listen to them on my commutes uh you know when i commute back and forth from work my commute's about a half hour ish um, and yeah, I don't listen to it all in one sitting, but you know, I get to work, I pause and then I just pick it up where I left off when I come home and you know, one podcast will take me like, you know, my way into work, my way home from work, my way into work the next day. And then, you know, I'm usually done with like a 90 minute podcast. Right. So I guess I, that doesn't really, I'm just like, oh, I just listen to it in pieces. I feel like to work and from work would probably be like your max amount. Yeah, maybe. When it goes on to a next day, it's like you've forgotten what people have said and you're kind of like, oh wait, I'm still listening to this. I feel like. I feel like two separate podcasts. All right. Well, hey, go. you know, I have been I, contemplating this I option. I have strong opinions about these things. It's just, like I said, it makes for a very long podcasting session. And also, usually, you and I have talked about the news as it comes out. That's true. So then I Consequence sort of, of living together. Yes, exactly. So then I'm sort of like, I don't really have much more to say about that. All right. Well, hey, maybe we'll experiment with the format a little bit in 2015. Uh, all right. Cool. Uh, well, first, we're going to talk news. Um, lots of things. Lots and lots of things happened this week. Uh, in fact, I was when you know Bart was out of town, I, you know, and it looked like the scheduling wasn't going to work out. I was actually really sad because I was like, oh, there's so much, there's so much to talk about this week. So I'm glad we're getting to getting to tackle some of these things. First and foremost, let's talk about that Suicide Squad cast. 
Uh, we talked about this, you know, Bart and I talked about this a while, a couple weeks back, um, because uh, there weren't a lot of surprises here. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these names have sort of been in the mix, although I guess the surprises were some of the roles kind of got mixed up in the rumor mill. Um, so we've got Jared Leto confirmed as the Joker. Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn, which is cool because we've never seen Harley Quinn uh, in, in a live action movie before. She's She was kind of an invention of the animated series. Um, and... So it'll be cool to see her on the big screen and her relationship with the Joker. Uh, we also have Tom Hardy playing Rick Flagg, uh, who's sort of the leader of the squad. He's like the military guy. He's kind of the, he's the straight arrow. He's the only one who isn't a criminal. Uh, and then Jai Courtney playing Boomerang. The, the traditional character name is Captain Boomerang, but uh, it's, he's just listed as Boomerang in the announcement in the press release, uh, which is, you know, we were talking about this a little bit the other night because Boomerang Captain Boomerang just appeared on uh, the Hello. WB or CWs. I keep calling it WB because I'm a million years old. Uh, do, you, do you miss the days of UPN? I do. I do. I miss UPN so much. Uh, no, so he just appeared on uh, Arrow and Flash uh, this past week. And so, yeah, I think dropping the boomerang probably makes it a little more. Dropping the captain. Dropping the captain. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Dropping the captain makes it feel a little less hokey. That's fine. Uh, we've got Will Smith confirmed as uh, Deadshot, and Jai Courtney and Will Smith were the two who were kind of reversed in the rumor mill. Uh, people were saying, oh, I think, you know, uh, Smith's going to play Boomerang, and Jai Courtney's going to play Deadshot, which made no sense on the face of it, because Boomerang has traditionally been an Australian character. So why you would cast an Australian as a different like why would you would cast Will Smith as the Australian guy? Maybe they get away from the stereotypes. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um... And then we've got the, the the one sort of like big, big surprise, the one sort of outlier is uh, this uh, woman, Carla Delevingne. Cara, Cara Delevingne. Sorry, I'm reading it off the thing and I don't, because I, I don't know who this person is. Cara Delevingne. She's a model. She's a model. So yeah. says you. She's in, so she was, says reality. So says, so says the world. Uh, and you, you knew her from something else. What well, was she just recently got cast as the lead female character in the latest adaptation of one of John Green's novels, Paper That's Towns. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had a very tiny part in Anna Karenina, which I still have not seen. Yeah, me neither. And I want to say she was in something else. Like, she's been slowly branching out into acting, but then this was like a double whammy. Like, she got the part in Paper Towns, and then she got this part. Yeah. Um, Paper Towns is filming now. And so it was like this one-two hit of like, oh my gosh, I guess like Cara Delevingne is like really happening as an actress now. Like, that's – and like – I don't know a lot about her. I've only seen a few interviews with her and stuff like that. But I will say that when I heard she was cast as Margot in Paper Towns, I, like, immediately, it never would have occurred to me to even put her on the shortlist. But as soon as they announced it, I was like, she's going to be perfect. Yeah. She's going to be perfect, I think. So right. I'm very excited about that. So, so hopefully. She's, she's, so she'll be in the movie. She's playing Enchantress. And that's really interesting because Enchantress is a magical character. Uh, she showed up on Smallville at one point, I think. Um, they all showed up on Smallville. I know, everybody showed up on Smallville at some point. Um, but yeah, she's, I mean, she is, like, she's a magician by day, and she's got actual magic powers. Um, I mean, that's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we're just starting to delve into the magical element of comics. It's something we haven't really seen on the big screen up until now. Um, and that, those walls are just starting to come down, so she'll be... Uh, you know, playing Enchantress here in Suicide Squad, which is coming immediately after uh, Dawn of Justice. Uh, so that's 20, I think it's 2015, late 2015. Um, so, or I'm sorry, 2016, 2016. 
and then we've also got you know Marvel on the flip side has Doctor Strange coming, and he's sort of the fir- our first entrance into Marvel's version of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're gonna get into Doctor Strange in a minute too. Um, but it, you know, I think I'll, I'll be curious to see how that really kind of fits into the world. Um, I guess DC has kind of an advantage. They're they're both gonna be coming out around the same time, like in the same year. But uh, you know, I think D- I think Suicide Squad will come a little earlier. But because they're really building their whole universe wholesale right now, um, I think Marvel might have the steeper climb there in that they've got they've got a world established, and now they have to suddenly introduce a whole new element to it. Whereas DC can just be like, oh, there's magic, no, th- whatever, no big deal, I you know. know? I think they'll be okay, though. No, no, or, I think they're going to be fine. Or they'll find a different way to explain it, the same way they're doing with the twins yeah. in Avengers. You know, instead of it being magic, they're going to explain it away as something else. Maybe their version will be inhuman or something like that. You know, they could explain it in some, like, you know, more rational, reality-based way. Yeah, I don't... I kind of don't want that, though. I mean, I, I dug it with Thor, where they were like, oh, we're gods, but we're just from another place. Yeah, it's and not that we're gods. It's you, that people yeah. considered us gods because they couldn't explain us exactly. any other way. Yeah, you call it magic, we call it science. Like That I, that made sense for Thor and yeah. the way they presented Thor. But Doctor Strange, particularly, he is like he is the Sorcerer Supreme. Like His whole thing is that it's just straight-up fucking magic. And I'm okay, like, I'm not, I don't want to shy away from magic in these worlds. Um, I just think it's interesting in that, you know, Marvel has kind of set some rules already for their universe, and they've kind of, people have expectations of sort of how the world works for the Marvel movies. And so, like, they've, they've just got a, they've got a little more legwork to do, and they have to say, like, oh, also there's this whole other branch of this universe that we've just never seen so Mm -hmm. far and how that interacts with everybody else and you know whether or not it's gonna feel like how how integrated it's gonna feel in the universe or if he's really gonna feel like his own thing you know i mean like guardians of the galaxy is our first entrance into marvel being out in space but like tonally it still feels like it sort of fits within the same universe so I'll be curious to see if they can kind of pull off the same thing with Doctor Strange or if he's really going to feel like, no, he's operating in his own separate corner right now. Well, no, I was going to say I feel like, if anything, I would be less worried about Marvel and more just, like, concerned about DC because I feel Marvel's done a really good job of integrating everything. What I think is really interesting is the way DC has decided to keep their TV and movie worlds completely separate. Yep. Even though their TV and movie worlds are doing parallel things. Sure. Like, I They're feel... introducing the same characters. Exactly, which I feel is odd. You know, like, on the one hand, like, fine, of course, that's the way it usually is. So audiences are used to the TV and the movie versions being totally separate. Yeah. But I just do think it's interesting the way it's the exact same characters. Like, Stephen Amell, who plays Arrow, even pointed out that they announced Ezra Miller as the flash like days before the flash tv show yeah, premiered yeah. premiered and he and it was very sweet since on the shows you know flash and arrow yeah, have that great that. little brother big brother thing but he was really upset he was like i feel like that steals grant's thunder like we're supposed to have this great premiere for grant we're supposed to be launching him in his own show and then they go and announce their movie flash with this fanfare and everything and it's just kind of like what the hell yeah and so I just thought that was nice. But he also does have a good point. I mean, they announced, this, they announced this lineup like 
the same week that Boomerang is on Flash and Arrow. And it's just kind of like, it's got to make you feel like the little stepchild of the DC. Like, oh, no, this is the important Flash right. and Boomerang. No, you know, you're just the TV versions. Like, that's got to feel crappy. Yeah. So in that vein, I like the way that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is fully integrated into the Marvel Universe. Yeah, they've been doing a much better job of yeah, that Yeah, and season. isn't just like, a, oh, yeah, we have a Sif too, but it's a totally different Sif. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, it's the same actress playing the same character in the same world. Yeah. I think that's more it makes the TV show seem more important and like they respect it just as much as part of the universe they're building. Well, I think the interesting thing is going to be seeing how the where the differences lie between the movies and the TV universes because like I don't have a problem taking that with that different approach with saying okay, Marvel's going to be we're all one big integrated thing and we're going to have like TV universe and movie universe. Like, I I don't necessarily have a problem with that on the face of it, because to me, it actually kind of reminds me or feels reminiscent of, you know, like uh, comic books where there's like five different runs of Batman going on, you know, and there's like there's, you know, there's this version, there's that version, there's an early version, there's an old man version. And it's not there isn't a continuity between those different between those different versions of the character. So as long as they actually do something significantly you know, different as long as they actually say, Hey, we want to tell this version of the story or we want to present the character in this way, then I'm okay with there being like the TV version and the movie version and never the twain shall meet. Like, I, I don't have a problem with that structure, but what will annoy me is if, you know, if we basically get the same character with the same backstory and, like, I don't – at that point, it seems like, well, why why bother other than just, like, well, you can pay this guy less money and do it on TV with a smaller budget, you know? Um, I want to see, like, a dramatically different take on the character, you know? Like, I if they – they have no plans to introduce, uh, to introduce Green Arrow uh, at the moment, but I would love to see them, if they did that, you know, maybe, like, an older Green Arrow. I don't mean, like, an old man Green Arrow, but someone who's not, like – in his 20s you know like someone who's not like a hot young stud but like someone who's been around the block a little bit and it's what i like that they're doing with uh with affleck as batman is that he's not like it's this is not we're rebooting batman and this is a guy who's learning to be batman and he's brand new and whatever it's like no it's a batman who's been around for a while and he has sort of an established history in this universe you know even though we haven't seen it before so i would love to see them take a similar approach with flash or with uh arrow i mean ezra miller is very young so it hard it feels like he can't have that much of a backstory because how long could he have been doing this he's like right. 20 you know i mean that's what he appears so um but anyway so back back to suicide squad remember once upon a time when we were talking about suicide squad um so i i i like all of all of that casting i like that that whole cast a lot um i'm really excited you know margot robbie and and will smith have a like a con man movie coming out next year yeah one of my friends um like a friend of a friend on Facebook. I don't know if he's seen it. I don't know if he works for the company or what, but he was saying they have insane chemistry. I mean, that's great. One, that's one person's opinion, but you know, for what it's worth, he, in his opinion, they have like mad chemistry together. So he was like, I am so excited about this. No, that's great. Cause I was say, I saw that trailer and I thought the trailer was like, okay. And I love con man movies, but I just, I, you know, it didn't really strike me as like, Oh, that's so amazing. Like I have to see that, you know, kind of in the same way. It's not really a con man movie, but like, Wahlberg in The Gambler, like, 
I want to see that movie as soon as fucking possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that's the tone that they were going for in the Will Smith, Margot Robbie movie. It's like something along those. And it's just like it felt everything sort of felt staged and flat and nothing really jumped out at me. Uh, but I mean, you know, I'll still I'll still probably go see that. I know we watched that weird fucking uh, Colin Farrell movie, uh, Winter's Tale, mm. where Will Smith just sort of shows up as the devil mm. halfway through. That was so weird. Uh, like his whole career has just become completely fascinating to me. So just the idea of Will Smith like playing a villain in a movie about villains is like you wouldn't. There's no way that would have happened even just like ten years ago. You know, uh, he has such like tight control on his branding and and the kinds of roles that he plays. I mean, that's why he walked away from playing Django uh, for Tarantino. So I, you know, I'll be curious to see how much of a villain he's actually right. playing. I mean, I was going to say, I don't know a lot about, and I don't know if you know or if it's just not released yet, about the plot of this movie. Yeah. You know, is it supposed to be, like, anti-heroes? Mm-hmm. Like, where you almost kind of, like, root for the villain a little? Yeah. Or are they, like, straight-up villains? Or are they a mix? You yeah, know? Yeah, I think we're going to get, honestly, like, I think we'll get a blend. Um, I think there's also still the possibility. I agree with you. I'm not 100% sure Will Smith could ever be convinced to play a straight-up villain. Yeah. Even, because I don't, he also doesn't seem like the kind of guy who, like, after After Earth or something, if his team tried to be like, After I re- After Earth? Yep. That's, I really think. <laughs> I want that to be the sequel to that shitty after, fucking after movie, Earth. After After Earth. Um, day <laughs> after, after Earth Nights. <laughs> the day after, the day after tomorrow. Um. But I feel like even if after that his team had tried to sit him down and be like, I really think you need, like, an overhaul. Like, these parts aren't working for you as much anymore. I don't think he would listen. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who is well swayed by anyone telling him what to do. I feel like he just kind of does what he wants no matter what. And if he has this clear vision of himself as being the hero, he would not change that because someone said so. Yeah, I mean, his last couple movies have not been big. They've not been – they've not – they've not been hugely successful here in the States, but he still is like internationally, which is what studios really care about at this point. He's right. still like a very popular, still very successful brand. So um, yeah, I, I think we'll get a mix. I think some of these characters are going to be, you know, just total shithead, like irredeemable bad guys. And some of them will be, you know, Oh, but he's kind of okay. Or, yeah. you know, he's a thief, but he's got honor or something. Kind of like what Gotham is trying to do now with like most of the villains. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Will Smith, turns out to be one of the like turns out to be okay he in the had end a bad childhood yeah you right guys. well okay so deadshot he is never like had a chance deadshot is like a guy who he's he's like a sniper but he i mean he's not just a sniper basically he's he he shoots people he never misses he has just incredible aim and because it's not just like oh he's got a snipe he's got a sni- like a sniper rifle whatever like he can shoot with a handgun whatever he and bullseye are the same uh basically yeah um different characters they've done it different ways but yeah basically they're the same and i wouldn't be surprised to see him uh so arrow has done deadshot uh smallville did deadshot um and i kind of expect that in the movie they will like his physical interpretation will be kind of the same because in the comics he's like a guy he's kind of like deadpool like he's a guy he's got a full fucking body mask and like you don't see his face ever in the tv show he's just been like a guy and he's got a mechanical eye he's got like a like a computer eye basically mm-hmm. so that he can zoom in and that's why he's such a good shot i kind of expect we'll get the same thing because i don't see will smith spending half of this movie even half of this movie with his face covered up right you know that's not gonna happen um you know we'll see about jared leto as a joker i mean I don't, I don't 
a lot of people have had like a very visceral reaction to him. I I, I kind of don't think he's the worst choice. I think he'll he's certainly going to make. You know that guy doesn't do anything half-assed. He's going to make some strong fucking choices. Um, they and may I feel work. Like they may they're not. They're not dumb enough to half-ass that casting decision because anyone who has to play the Joker after, after Ledger, Heath Ledger, yeah, like they're going to pick the guy that they are 150% certain is the right guy for the job. Yeah. And considering, I mean, from what I understand, he got very close on Doctor Strange, right? Like they, uh, they wanted, they him, wanted yeah. the crap out of him. So the fact that he turned that down but did this yeah. makes me think he was very passionate about it and into it. And- I think the interesting thing will be that he's got uh, Harley Quinn to play off of here. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to present a very I know, different I've been version of to the see Joker. That relationship yeah. like on screen for a while now. Yeah, it's going to present a very different version of the Joker than we've ever seen. Um, and I think you know that'll that'll probably alter his interpretation a lot. Um, also, you know, this isn't a joke. You know, I, I I don't think they're going to whitewash the Joker here. No visual pun intended uh but I, you know i think that he's i i, I don't think they're going to try and make him out to be a good guy in the end right but uh you know you're gonna see a different version of him because he's not just there to torture our hero you know mm-hmm. like it's a and that's sort of the interesting thing about this movie is a, you know it's the first time we're gonna see the joker batman's gonna be nowhere to be seen mm-hmm. and since there are no batman movies scheduled as of right now you know we, he might show up again before he ever shares a movie with Batman. So, you know, it's interesting to present all of these characters in, a, in that way. We're also, I, there's still the possibility that Jesse Eisenberg is going to appear as Lex Luthor. They're still negotiating for that, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so that'll be, you know, that'll be interesting to see how, what, in whatever state he ends up at the end of uh, Batman v Superman. So, like, all of this casting is, is good or whatever. I will say that I am really nervous about Jai Courtney. Um, I, I just I, that guy just seems not very appealing to me in any in any way. Um, he 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 seems to be like pinned to every franchise right now, and he's really boring. Um, <laughs> like like really really boring. Um, I mean, Sam Worthington Redux. He yeah he literally feels like the, what we were, what Sam Worthington was like five ten yep. years ago where they just like put him in everything and now what the fuck is that guy doing nothing <laughs> so yeah I'm 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 nervous about Jai Courtney uh, but he's gonna play an Australian guy who throws boomerangs so like hey maybe they're actually giving him a character who's kind of silly like maybe that will actually open him up a little bit I would be okay with that. Um, but everybody's It'll like, be like his his jump street, like what jump street was for, for Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum. Hey, be, look, Made everyone be like, that guy's amazing. That'd be He's great. Awesome. I would love to reevaluate him. <laughs> um, but everyone's been really focused on like, oh, Will Smith's gonna be in this movie, and and Tom Hardy, and all you know, whatever. The story that came out, uh, Variety had the story. I think by far the most interesting thing in this story is that the one other big role when it comes to the suicide squad that hasn't been cast yet is amanda waller amanda waller who is kind of like the nick fury to the Mm -hmm. suicide squad she's uh you know rick flag is the guy who actually sort of leads the team out in the field but she's the one who's sort of calling the shots you know Mm -hmm. back of the base um and we've seen her in movies before she was in uh green lantern she was uh, angela bassett uh in the green lantern movie with ryan reynolds um but uh, they've got a short list. They haven't cast this role yet, but they do have a short list. And 
the first couple names, I was like, yeah, all right, that's makes it. Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer. It's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like strong black women who you know can push guys around. Like, yeah, those I totally buy them. The third name on the list, which is apparently their top choice, is by far the most interesting thing about this entire story. And that's Oprah Winfrey. They want Oprah Winfrey to play Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller is not a fucking happy, feel-good lady. I mean, she is a ball buster. Well, Oprah doesn't play a lot of happy, feel-good characters. Like, when Oprah acts, Oprah tends to go more toward, like, I mean, have you seen The Color Purple? No, I have not. Well, you should see The Color Purple if you don't want to see Oprah be happy. (laughs) Well, no, but that's the thing. Like, she did The Color Purple... And then stopped acting for like 20 years and did her feel good, happy lady, you know, uh, uh, talk you show. What You get a car. Yeah, exactly. You get a car. Exactly. Uh, she's Now that she's retired, I actually kind of am fascinated to see her as an actress again. Um, she, I think she was in, I'm pretty sure she was in uh, The Butler, the Lee Daniels movie, yeah, The Butler. Was. Which I, it was on TV last night. I recorded it. It's on our DVR. We should watch it later. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't. I didn't see that. She's also in uh, Selma, the Martin Luther King movie that's coming out later this year, uh, which I hear is really, really good. I hear it's fantastic. I don't know about her in it, but I, I hear the movie is excellent. Uh, so I'm excited to check that out. Um, but yeah, if she like to see Oprah in a comic book movie alone would be like super weird and yeah. super fun. But to also also see her play like a hard nosed like ass kicker. I think that's kind of fucking great. I I would like. I really hope that happens. Are you kidding that me? That would be really awesome. Like, yeah, Will Smith, great, fine. Oprah, really? That's a fucking amazing. Oh man, like, could we be that lucky? Could we be that lucky? Because I mean, Amanda Waller, someone who's not just limited to the Suicide Squad, I would expect to see her show up in a Justice League movie somewhere down the road. You know, like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> I don't even like Oprah that much, but just, just how fucking weird is that? I can't get over it. Oh, I want that to happen so bad. <laughs> so we mentioned Doctor Strange earlier. Uh, that has finally been officially cast. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, you and I are both. I mean, you know, we're big Sherlock fans. We're big. Yes. Cu- we're we're big Cumberbatch fans yes. in general. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like he he feels like a good choice for that role. Mm-hmm. You know. It, He's a good choice for any role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say that I'm one of those, like, crazy Cumberbatch meme Tumblr people who's like, he is the greatest thing in the world, he must be in every movie! Oh, see, I, like, ever since we saw the both versions of Frankenstein yeah. with him and Johnny Lee Miller, mm-hmm. I am convinced that Benedict Cumberbatch is one of the greatest living actors we have today. Yeah. Yes. Well, I remember you being. I do want him in all of the movies, and I would <laughs> believe him in basically any role you put him in. Now. I remember you being really Firmly taken with him side. in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yes. too, which he's got a very yes. small role, but he really that he really kitchen scene, man. sells that, that kitchen scene. scene. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it's a it's a heartbreaker. Uh, but you know, I think I think he's a good choice. I think he's fantastic um, in everything. I think he's a good choice for Doctor Strange. He's got just enough of a sort of otherworldly quality to him that i feel like he can sell the magic element that he can sort of bring us into a new dimension of that reality um yeah I, you know i'm curious to see who else they start putting in this movie you know i'm still very curious by the way if he's going to be in star wars just because he, i don't think he so. was like 
I mean, maybe he was just enjoying teasing people, but he got, like, very awkward about it when Graham Norton asked him. Like, it wasn't, like, a simple, like, no, I'm not, or, like, haha, no comment. Like, he seemed a little thrown and was like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble if I say anything. Uh, I don't... I but think he's also a very good actor, as I have previously said. I don't remember them asking him about Star Wars. They I remember did. them asking him about Star Trek and him being like, no comment. No, which they made asked people him, get no, all they fucking asked him weird about, about Star Wars. All right, good. And he said, no comment. No, no, because. No, no. Oh, are we going to have to Google the clip now? We are going to have to Google the clip because I swear. I think I, they might have asked him about both, honestly. I'm sure, they asked I'm him sure about asked like him a million both. different movies and he said, no comment and got all giggly no, on like all I'm of sure them. they asked him about both, but I remember them asking about Star Trek and him saying, no comment because I remember seeing headlines being like, maybe Khan will show up again in the next Star Trek movie because he said no comment to Graham Norton. And I was like, that sounds like some bullshit. That sounds like him trying to make a joke on a talk show and like people wanting to get, you know, page views on their website. I, I don't buy that for a second. Hey, my uh, predictive text knows Cumberbatch. <laughs> of course it does because you love him. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm excited to see him. I mean, I like him in the Marvel Universe. I would be excited to see him, you know, I, who knows at what point or if they will integrate him into, you know, the event, larger Avengers universe, like what other characters we might see Doctor Strange interact with. Um, I kind of expect that his first movie, kind of like Guardians, his first movie, he'll kind of be on his own and there won't be a lot of other connective tissue. But somewhere down the line, like, yeah, I want to see him in like Infinity War part one or part two like that sounds that sounds awesome you know mm-hmm. and i totally see him holding his own alongside you know robert downey jr and you know nick uh, samuel l jackson or, or whoever else ends up being actually in those movies so um i also am kind of tickled at the idea of benedict cumberbatch and chris pratt sharing scenes i i kind of want to see that happen yeah now we were talking about jai courtney earlier being sort of attached to every franchise um, you know, the other big franchise that he is now a part of is Terminator. Um, and we haven't really talked about this this week, but did you watch the Terminator trailer? Yes. Do, what did you, what were your thoughts? What are your feelings? Needs more Matt Smith. <laughs> Needs more Matt Smith. Okay. Well, I could have seen that coming a mile away. Um, but I, I, are you like, what's your history with the Terminator movies? Are you a uh, fan I of which ones are Terminator two first? Yeah. And I was obsessed with it. Really? It was one of the first DVDs I ever bought, and I bought one of those, like, crazy multi-disc packs that came in, like, a giant case Metal box and shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that. And watched that movie over and over again. I eventually watched Terminator, and I didn't like it as much. Really? Um, But I was also, like, This is, like, high school? Yeah, okay. Um, I suspect if I watched it again, I would like it more, but I was just so into Terminator 2 as a teenager that I kind of, like, couldn't, couldn't emotionally cheat on terminator 2 with terminator 1 okay no here's my question is what is it about terminator 2 that was so enthralling to you was it like the effects work or is it um, sarah connor being a fucking badass i was gonna say that's what i expected like if i had to make a pie chart i think it would be like 60 percent sarah no like mm, (laughs) she's drawing venn diagrams in her heads right now folks not venn diagrams pie charts um somewhere between like 55 and 60 percent sarah connor somewhere around like 20 to 25 percent t1000 yeah and then the rest would be john connor just because it's like when you i think i first saw terminator 2 when i was like 12 or 13 did so, you find eddie furlong like dreamy were okay, you were well, you into eddie furlong i'm glad that's where you went instead of what i was actually going to say 
which is, I think, when you're 12 or 13, the fact that there's this, like, kid yeah that makes it more accessible for you and that may like there aren't a lot of action movies with kids you know where like action movies for adults yeah yeah. where a kid is like in there and doing doing stuff stuff. and like has a motorcycle he's not just there to like be cute yeah exactly and so i think for like that was a lot of it but a lot of it was just also sarah connor you know so when you're a girl and there aren't all that many action movies with a kick-ass woman in them to begin with. Yeah. And you see Terminator 2 first, and then you go back and watch Terminator 1. You're like, well, this Sarah Connor sucks, you know? <laughs> so it was just like, yeah, no, that's I no, couldn't yeah. really get into it because it was like, this sucks. I hate this. No, I understand that. So, um, it's a different entry point for sure yeah. uh, into like why the, wh- what you're supposed to appreciate about the movie. The only reason I asked like about – Like that shot of Linda Hamilton doing those chin-ups on the I know, bed and everything. It's just like – this is awesome. No, she's amazing. And because I hadn't seen Aliens or anything yet at that point. Yeah. So it was like Sarah Connor was my first like kick-ass female action, action hero, yeah. you know? And like this was before I saw Aliens. This was before, you know, Firefly existed and everything. So it was just like this was before Battlestar. So Sarah Connor was the first one No, that, that's me. totally fair. The only reason I asked about Eddie Furlong is that like I also – have seen Terminator 2 like a million times like way more than Terminator 1 I think I've only seen Terminator the original Terminator one time all the way through um but at this point like I I I, Eddie Furlong is like the worst thing in the movie like I can barely stand to watch him in that movie well yes now as an adult I realize that no he's like he's super awkward I was like cool there's a kid you know there's this awesome woman and there's a kid you know all the like him teaching Arnold like cool 90s slang yeah. and shit is like interminable at this point so that's why i was I, that's the only reason i was curious like what was it about eddie furlong about young john connor that you found interesting um n- now oh, sure that's why you asked that's the only reason it certainly mm-hmm. wasn't patriarchy uh-huh wait but that's you, the only reason you could possibly have liked it i'm just asking you know uh, I didn't know you when you were 14, also, so... Also, the only reason I like any sports. Cute guys in tight pants. Hey, I'm not ruling anything out here. <laughs> uh, but for, more importantly, uh, you have not addressed a uh, an important uh, aspect to this franchise, and that's Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Because I did not like that movie. You didn't like much. that movie? No. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> but again, I it's saw so it. It's so dumb, but I love it. I saw it once in theaters because, again, I was super excited. I was like, new Terminator movie. So I saw it once in theaters. I didn't really like it, and I haven't seen it since. Yeah. So oh, my feelings about it might have changed, and then I never saw the Christian Bale one. So, oh, you never? Okay, so you never saw I that Because I didn't one. like Terminator 3, so I kind of gave up. So I, I really want to rewatch them all um, because – like I say, it's been a long time since I watched the first one. I haven't watched a third one in a while either, and I've only seen uh, Salvation, Terminator Salvation with Christian Bale once. Um, but no, the third one is just full of big, dumb, stupid action in a really kind of wonderful, charming way. It's Bart's prime example of you know what he calls like, I love when a movie knows what it is mm-hmm. and doesn't try to be anything more than what it is. And it's like, yeah, no, we're going to blow a lot of shit up. We're going to have just wanton destruction left and right and like that's all that's gonna happen here um and it's it's kind of great in that way and the feeling i got from the third from this new terminator trailer terminator genesis terrible fucking title i hate the spelling why is it spelled that way i know i don't understand drives me crazy (laughs) i 
hate it more than Into Darkness or Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice actual title. They went back in time and they assassinated Merriam-Webster. That's what happened. I hate it. Yeah, I don't, I don't Why know. Why is it spelled that way? I'm sure it will it be revealed. It very that hard to Google because yeah. I'm like, wait, how is this spelled again? What awful butchered spelling do I need to type in? I'm sure it will be revealed that that's like the name of a something or other, some, you know, in the future, you know, some skynet strategy or something whatever who if gives we spell a fuck? everything wrong the terminators won't know where to that go back makes in time it futuristic uh no so uh when but when i watched the trailer um I, I got a real like terminator 3 vibe off of it i was like yeah no this just feels like kind of silly in a great way um it doesn't i mean the first terminator is like really serious um, and it doesn't have quite that level of seriousness to it. But I think part of that is because so much of that trailer is future stuff. It's, it's you know, grown-up John Connor in the future. I mean, like, half the trailer is, like, you know, actual war with the machine stuff before it goes back. And then it, you know, it flips the script a little bit. I also feel like I'm going to have one of those problems with this movie where it's like, and I mean, it's the problem with any time travel movie where, you know, you've built yourself into a paradox yeah but it's like wait so i don't understand so this is like they went back in time all that stuff happened something changed it they go back or like they go back in time (laughs) again but now it's different are they just like stuck in a weird time loop where they keep going back and it's like different every time somehow like i don't i'm already very annoyed yeah i don't like the idea of going back but now it's different for what i'm sure is going to be a convoluted reason i know a lot of people got really excited about hearing sarah connor be the one to say come with me if you want to live yeah. i did not like it oh really because i was going to say you were like all about sarah connor action star i was going to say like well, that no, must be but something I don't that you're like... into here well yes she's like a badass but lady. i already saw that movie and it was awesome so <laughs> i don't really feel the need to see it again yeah i don't feel the need to see those bangs again <laughs> and I just, I get very cynical about the idea of, like, appropriating a line that everyone really liked the first time, but slightly differently, so that we can play on your nostalgia, but also put our own mark on it, you know? I don't like that. Yeah. So that, as soon as that happened, I just, like, started hardcore rolling my eyes, and I was like, stupid movie. Okay. So, and then there was no Matt Smith, so then it just totally lost me. Well, okay, so- I kept looking for him, hoping he would be, like, a tiny little, like- fraction of a frame or something and i couldn't find him so i was very bummed my understanding is that matt smith's role in this movie is going to be well yeah who he is playing they're keeping very secret um but my understanding is that he is uh playing a very small role in this movie with the intention being that he will play a much larger role in the later in the next two movies because mm-hmm. this is supposed to launch a new trilogy right so he's supposed to play a much bigger role in the next in and the... that also just feels like a cynical cash grab to me like we're making more terminator movies but the way that we're doing it is by resetting our entire thing so that we can start over from the beginning so that we then have space to create like all these additional movies like, in order to have that space, we need to go back to the beginning of everything. Like, yeah. I realize that's kind of the same as, like, all the Batman movies and all the Superman movies. Well, but it I, just no, I was gonna it say feels it's... crappy when it's not just, like, a reboot or an origin story or something. It's just like, no, no. Like, it's like the Spider-Man movies. It's like, no, we literally want to tell the same story over again. So we're just kind of going to, like, hop back a couple steps, 
retwist the timeline with what, again, I am sure is going to be a stupid reason so that we can now redo everything. Okay, I have two I have two thoughts about that. The first of which is that when I showed the trailer to a guy I work with, uh, he literally, he watched and he went, oh, it's the same story again. This is why I stopped watching telenovelas because it was like, as soon as like, oh, he's with that guy and she's married to him. And okay, so I know how this is all going to play out. Um, no one else on the world, I think, is drawing the connection between Terminator and telenovelas. Um, but no, I mean, so you mentioned, oh, it's like rebooting, you know, rebooting these franchises, or whatever. See, to me, it feels like, I mean, the closest analog is Star Trek. It's Abrams you know, going back in time and, and twisting the timeline and being able to sort of start everything over with characters that are the same characters you love, but changed and altered a little bit. Well, the difference here, I think, and you know, it's time travel and alter timelines. Like that's something that's been a big part of Star Trek, like, you know, since day one, basically. Uh, but with Terminator, it is like, built into the DNA of Terminator. I mean, the whole purpose of Terminator, like the whole foundation of the franchise of the story is a person who goes back in time and changes history. So the idea of sending someone back who, you know, and, and restarting the whole thing in a different way, like that doesn't feel like a great, as like, when Star Trek did it, it felt like kind of a big shakeup here. It just sort of feels like Oh, okay. So they're just going back to a different time and doing a different and changing it in a different way. So I mean, it feels like still very much part of the universe. Uh, it's just a matter of like whether or not those those choices pay off in an interesting way. Well, I was gonna say I feel like the Star Trek comparison is an interesting one because I feel like it is like Star Trek, but it's not like the first one. It's into darkness. It's where they squandered all of that rebooting the timeline. Because the interesting thing about the way they did it in the first Star Trek was they completely changed it. Yeah. So that it was like, oh, now we can really do anything. anything. at all, yeah. Like we've erased completely the Star Trek you thought you knew. Yeah. So now we can tell any story we want. And what did they do in the second one? They told the con story but they just switched some key details. Yeah. That's what, I didn't think of it until you just said it, but that's what the come with me if you want to live line feels, feels like, like to you. me. Yeah. It feels like Kirk dying instead of Spock. Well, it's yeah. like, we're giving you that thing you love, but the opposite. Yeah. Aren't we creative? Well, and it's like, no, you're not. Here's the thing. And I think this might just be a marketing issue. I feel like that's like, that's the thing you put in the trailer because it's familiar to people and it's like, you know, it gets a response or whatever. I think where the movie is going to start is going to be very much from that place, which is like, oh, you send the guy back and the expectations are all, the expectations are all inverted. Um, so that instead of Kyle Reese going back to save Sarah Connor, he goes back and in fact Sarah Connor knows what's up and like she has to save him and she has to, you know, be the one to take charge because she knows more than he does as opposed to what we got from the original mm -hmm. movie. You know, I'm kind of okay with that being the initial setup and again I'll be curious to see how much time we actually spend in the future uh, because so much of the trailer was showing that. I'm okay with that if it ends in a really different place, you know? 
I mean, the whole point of the first one was like, oh, I'm preventing the Terminator from killing you so that you can still have your kid and we still have a leader of the resistance. The second one was like, oh, we've got to protect you and the kid. Uh, and, you know, maybe we can stop Skynet from ever launching if we go to Miles Dyson's house mm -hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. So, and I'm pretty sure Miles, there's a young Miles Dyson in this movie. Because I remember there being rumors that John Boyega was being courted to play a young Miles Dyson. So I'm pretty sure a young Miles Dyson is in this movie. Um, and they even say in the trailer, like, oh, maybe we can stop Judgment Day from ever happening. You know? So I'd kind of be okay if this movie literally tried to sort of cover the events of Terminator 1 and 2 you know, all in one movie and then ended in a really, in a, in a place that set the franchise off in a really sideways trajectory. As long as they really change things up in a meaningful way. So it doesn't just feel like, oh, we're going to spend the next, you know, six years retreading the same movies we've already seen. Mm -hmm. I, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, and again, because it feels like such a part of sort of what these movies are built on, like, yeah, no, that's, that's cool. I still don't understand why, even though they have it as a do-over, the Terminator's grand plan is still to kill Sarah Connor before John Connor can be born. Wouldn't it just be so much easier to kill John Connor when he's like a baby? Babies are easy to kill. I mean, I guess. I. I, I don't. I it don't know. is. Well, we're gonna see. We're gonna adults see. fight back. It's true. Uh, we're gonna see. Uh, you know, there's a little glimpse of it in the trailer, but. Uh, you know, the idea of the original Terminator, like the, the original Terminator, young Arnold uh, from the first movie, like showing up and there already being an old Arnold there to kill him. Um, so, again, like how they and sort of screw I, around with those expectations will be very interesting. Also, whatever weird thing they're coming up with for the fact that like the skin is organic. So his skin is aging. That seems like a a flaw for an advanced robotic race to yeah. have created in their robots. Bart and I talked about this a while back. It feels like something that I don't I don't have a huge problem with it, uh, only in that it doesn't necessarily feel like a retcon. It just feels like something we haven't seen. You know? Like, the Terminators aren't necessarily built to last forever. So, we've never seen a Terminator that was alive for more than, like, you know, a couple days at a time, basically. So, the concept of a Terminator who actually lives for, like, you know, 20 or 30 years, like, okay, so the organic stuff, like, ages and degrades over time, like, yeah, right, that seems vaguely reasonable. Like, I, I can buy that. I can swallow that pill. Yeah. Um, even though, yeah, it's certainly very different. But, you know, we'll see. All right, well, let's get to the matter at hand here. Let's talk uh, The Theory of Everything, uh, the Stephen Hawking biopic starring uh, Eddie Redmayne, Felicity Jones. Uh, Jamie, what did you think? Oh, wow, I have to go first? I, well, I, Damn you, Bart. I mean, I can go first if you want. Yes, go first. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, so here's, here's how I'll sum this up. Last week we watched Foxcatcher, and I thought Foxcatcher was a series of really strong performances that were sort of trapped in a story that meandered a little bit and didn't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of felt the same way yeah. about Theory of Everything. I agree. L literally like halfway through the movie, in my notes here, I, halfway through the movie I wrote down, 
what is this movie about? Yeah. Because I couldn't Whose story tell you. is this? What is the goal? Where yeah. is the arc? It was like, okay, so it, yes, it's a depiction of these real people and like the stuff that they went through. But it felt like there was no thematic through line. There was no like half of it is 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 Stephen's story. Half of it is Jane Wilde's story. There was no sense of like oh it's about a guy who overcomes all of these horrible right. medical problems and you know difficulties and still manages to maintain his personhood and does these great things like that's not really what yeah. it's about. I was going to say like you'd think that would be what it was about yeah. except it isn't. Like you and never tr- see any scenes of him like really struggling against his disease right. and like having all these thoughts he can't get out. Right. Um or anything like that. You never even really see him working. He just like keeps producing new books, but yeah. you never like see him struggling with that or see him working on it. He barely talks about it. Like there are only a few scenes where he's like, "Oh, actually I'm working on a new theory." Mm-hmm. And like Jane kind of explains the theory and it's like that's what I'm working on now and it's just kind of like okay and then the scene is over and then it's like here's my new book yeah. you know well and so that's that's the, one of the big so I have a you know I have I have said this before but I'm not a big fan of the biopic that tries to show you a person's whole life right and so at first I was kind of excited I was like oh they didn't spend a lot of time on his childhood and shit it was just sort of like jump right to Cambridge yeah they jump right yeah. to him and, at he, and he's already sick you can tell by the yeah. way he walks and by the way he moves his hands and holds his chalk yeah, and stuff. I like, he doesn't know he's sick, but you can tell. Yeah, I liked those kind of, some of them are more subtle than others, yeah. but like, oh, he spills a drink, he kind of is, is yeah, putting his, his little writing unsure. Is, is shaky. Yeah, it's like there was, it was a nice gradual build up to like him actually having an issue and getting diagnosed, but you know, I got excited where it was like, oh no, we're, this is just going to be like him doing his work and whatever mm-hmm. and about his illness, but then, you know, the problem I have with those, like, we're going to show you, you know, womb to tomb biopics is that it always feels like it's a greatest hits album. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, we're just showing you, like, the big moments and, like, you don't really get a sense of any of the texture in between. That's what this movie felt like. It felt like anytime something interesting happened, it was presented in a montage. And then there would be, like, a scene where they, where someone literally explained to the camera what was going on at that moment and then you would just get these, like, a moment here, a moment there, a moment here, a moment there, a montage to show he had another kid. And, like, I felt like literally all of the most interesting things in their life, like, all the stuff I wanted to see was the stuff that was, like, brushed over yeah. in, that, in in quick cuts, you, you know? Don't, you don't see any of them really struggling with his illness, yeah. you know? Like, it – and they never address the fact that he, until the very end – that he so outlived his diagnosis. You yeah. know, like there was never any point where anyone was just kind of like, I can't believe how well you're doing or I can't believe you're still here or anything like that, you know, or like, look how look how far you've come. But you, I mean, you get the sense emotionally, especially through Jane's like other relationships, especially with Jonathan, that like obviously this has been taxing for her. Yeah. But – you never see the difficulty. Like, at one point, and this is early on, like, before he's even really bad, one of his friends has to, like, lift him out of his wheelchair yeah. and carry him up, up the, the stairs, stairs and yeah. kind of says, like, my goodness, how does Jane manage? And considering at this point they're still saying, like, we can't afford help, we can't afford help, 
it makes you think like, how does Jane manage? <laughs> like, yeah. how is Jane doing any of this? Yeah, like, that's what I want to see. Yeah, like, how is Jane getting him dressed every day? How is Jane, like, helping him take a shower? Yeah. How is she doing I this see when some she's of a daily tiny routine little stuff. woman? Yeah. Yeah, and like, how does he feel about that? Like, that his wife has to, like, bathe him and dress him and yep. he can't do it himself. Like, that's got to feel dehumanizing to a certain extent. That has to be... There has to be a struggle to accept that that is your life now. Yeah. And we saw none of that. Like, they just kind of, like, seem to be rolling along. Like, they're clearly still intimate, at least sometimes. Because yeah. they're still they having, having kids. kids. <laughs> um, she seems like they have people over for dinner. And she just, like, feeds him and wipes his mouth. And they chat and have conversations. And, like, it never... You never get a sense of them. You never really get to see, like, the difficulty yeah. of all that. And there's something interesting about that in the the idea of trying to present this as basically just a relationship drama about yeah. a kind of fucked up marriage in which there are pressures and people are unhappy and whatever and, like, not focusing on, you know, the details of his of his illness and his physical issues, whatever, and having it be more about just, like, no, the relationship between this guy and his wife and the work he's doing and how that may or may not sit well with her, but also there's this other guy that she's more interested in and, you know, and, like, mm -hmm. how those, you know, how those dynamics play out. Like, I get the idea of that, but it, none of that comes yeah. across on the screen. It just feels like, like... You know, oh, okay, so we're going to get this guy to come and, like, help us and be not really the live-in help, but, you know, he's going to Be help. an extra set of hands. Yeah, exactly. And, and they just present it, they, again, they present it all in montage of, like, oh, we go to the beach and we're on a picnic or whatever. And yeah. it's just, like, everybody's smiling and having a happy good yeah, time. Yeah, and everyone seems to be friends and, and like, like no, we all wanna, love this setup. Give and... me, like, give me, just give me a scene of them like having a good time like with dialogue and then like maybe some dramatic tension you know under you know yeah. undercurrent underneath it like that like that's all i don't need like hours and hours of like detail work just like give me a couple of scenes that like represent what's going on as opposed to just like oh look at everybody having a good time by the water let's yeah. have a picnic whatever yeah and hawking raises a really interesting point at the very end that yeah. i wish they had spoken of more when they're finally basically like saying to each other like we need to separate like mm -hmm. this we don't love each other anymore yeah. like we don't we're not in it together the yeah, same way just, we were yeah um we're basically like caretaker and patient at this point and it's yep. not working absolutely um he says, like, how many years did they say? And she says, just two. And kind of starts to cry. And you realize, like, he everyone. may not have made it without her. Well, no, no, no. Not that. That's not even what I was going to say. Everyone wants to say that if something like this happened to their significant other, that they would stick and they would be in it for the long haul and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. It's a lot easier to say it than to do it. And I feel like if you really think about it, when they first got together – they were early 20s, yep. you know? They were students at Cambridge. Totally. And they said two years, and it, and it's like, easy I don't to think, mentally say, yeah, oh, I will be with you for two years, and then you're going to die, but and I, I'll and move and on. Yeah, no, but I was going to say, like, I don't think it would be so cynical as to say that she would be like, oh, yeah, two years, and then you're gone. Like, I can do this for two years, no problem. Right. But when they tell you it's two years, you think, like, well, I love you. I'm not going to break up with you because of this. Like, if you right. only have two years I left, be with you for those two I want to spend yeah. those two years by your side. Absolutely. Hopefully making it easier for you and being with you. Yeah. 
when it turns out to be 15 years yeah and you've been suddenly doing this for 15 years it's like you didn't realize that's what it would be yeah when you agreed to it you know and so I feel like that's an actually really interesting story that I would have liked to have seen. Sure, yeah, you know? totally. And and I mean, I've seen not quite the same thing, but I, I've seen a similar situation play out in real life. Like I had a friend who, you know, um, a couple years back, like he was diagnosed uh, with leukemia and he was dating this girl and he he had basically a very finite timetable put in front of him essentially and she was like we're well we're gonna i'm gonna stay with you and we're gonna do this together and like we're you know it's gonna be a thing and it, it was not the stephen hawking situation where it was like oh they told him two years and he lasted for 10 or something where it was like oh i can't believe this is still happening yeah. you know in a way i think it actually kind of played out the opposite way where it was like oh he they didn't know how much time they were gonna have how, how that altered their relationship is is interesting in that it's like, okay, well, you know, why are we, are, you know, are you just with me out of guilt or like how, w- what are the actual dynamics of that relationship right. and that sort of specter of mortality, it inherently changes the way two people interact. Mm-hmm. Um, whether there's like, oh, it's a hard, you know, deadline or not, it's just, you know, the way your, your expectations and how you interact with that person I, that's what I wanted to see in this mm-hmm. movie, and and none of it's there, uh, and it, 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 it just left me kind of feeling like, what the fuck am I actually watching here? You know, right? Um, you know, I think it's interesting that you were saying, oh, it's we don't really get to see a lot of him dealing with the illness. I also kind of felt like we didn't get to see a lot of him before the illness either. Right. You know, we only get a couple we, because it's, and again, I'm glad we didn't spend like, you know, 20 minutes on his childhood or whatever, but I feel like we kind of didn't get to see a lot of who he was as a person before he got sick uh, because it's all presented. And I, I don't think I realized this beforehand, but you know, this is technically an adaptation of Jane's memoirs. Yeah, no, so I it saw is that all in the closing kind of through, credits. Yeah. yeah, so it is kind of all through her perspective, all through her lens. Um, but you know, we don't get to see a lot of him before he meets her, and you know who he just is as a guy. So it's hard to draw the line between like how you know what is him as a person and what is like him being affected by his illness you know yeah i mean i was he all like you know did the illness make him meaner did it like affect his sort of personal outlook or like what is it him persevering and what is him being beaten down and what is just him beforehand you don't get a good sense of that i feel like no but i mean i do think you get a a, like little flashes of it here and there especially like that his first consideration is like what happens to the brain um because for him the physical stuff isn't as important you know it's not like lou gehrig who was an athlete you know so the idea of your body crumbling in front of you essentially is terrible when you are a very physical person but for him it's awful in the sense that you know you do feel for him that he's this great mind this great genius and the idea that he wouldn't be able to communicate any of the things happening absolutely and that just sounds like a nightmare for anyone the fact that you could have thoughts and feelings and you can't communicate them and so even if it's something simple like I'm too hot or I'm too cold or something like that and you can't say it like I feel like that would slowly drive you insane if you have so many things you want to say to people like my nose itches even you know and you can't and so you just have to sit there and 
not and be like screaming these thoughts inside your head and you can't get them out yeah that would be a nightmare yeah and i would say you know it kind of reminded me to a certain degree um you know when i was in high school i used to do like speech and forensics and i used to see so we were talking about this a couple of days ago you know i used to see so many performances where it was like people you know uh, basically one man shows about people who had like ms or you know they had some kind of illness or some kind of disability where their mind was really sharp but physically they like couldn't communicate or you know they were it was like a you know a, a fully functional mind trapped in a broken body basically and there would be these and it would be these pieces and these performances which you know the whole thing basically hinged on someone having this you know creating this incredible physical transformation in front of you and like that was basically what one judges over and what like made you do well was like oh i can't believe like i bought them as someone who you know was deformed or or or, you Mm -hmm. know couldn't talk or whatever um and you'd have like it would be like alternating back and forth between them having this like you know crazy physical posture and then also just like monologuing at the audience because that's their inner thoughts you know um and yeah no i mean there's a there's a certain degree of of that here as well where it's like yeah no the the fully functional mind who's like working at a million miles an hour but like trapped in this in this broken shell um and it really is a really incredible physical performance from eddie redmayne um i think he i think he just does phenomenal work here and there's so many times in this movie where i like i mean it looks i felt like i was get that it's not really stephen Hawking. yeah he looks exactly like him it's Mm -hmm. crazy like and it's such a matter of like mannerisms or whatever but it's just like like physically they looked almost identical there was one shot where yeah and they 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 show this location a bunch where it's like in cambridge it's like a outside like stone walkway Mm -hmm. like on the campus where it's like him and it's the camera's kind of far out and he's in his wheelchair and just sort of like rolling towards the camera and it one, like there was one shot of that where I was like, if I wasn't watching a movie right now, if you just like put that still frame up, I would just assume that was actually Stephen mm-hmm. Hawking. You know, like it looked so much like him. It was crazy. I want to know how much of the jaw work was prosthetics and how much was just Redmayne because especially yeah. toward the end where he had like the massive like underbite. Yeah. I tried holding my jaw that way for like five seconds during the movie and I was already in pain. Yeah. And so I was like, I want to know if he just like did that and like forced himself to do it or if it was a prosthetic of some kind because if he just did that, good lord. There were definitely some prosthetics involved uh, because the, the makeup credit literally said like hair, makeup, and prosthetics by... Mm. Uh, so there are definitely some physical prosthetics involved. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious to see how much was him and how much was, was the makeup. Yeah. Um, um, I will say, uh, one of the things I actually really liked about the movie and I was pleasantly surprised is because one of my problems with this movie from the marketing and from the trailers yeah. was the framing of it as a romance. Yeah. And cause I Which said, is not really what it is. <laughs> well, no, but I said this to you before we saw the movie that, you know, if this is just a movie about, like, this, that, if that's, like, the plot, this, like, great romance of his life and this, like, woman who helps him through and stuff, right. I'm going to be very annoyed because it's a fiction, you know? Like, they didn't have a great marriage. He cheated on her, you know? Right. The, like, why frame your movie around the one area in which he is arguably not that admirable it just like going into it i was like prepared to be upset in part because like it just bothers me that 
it, it would almost feel like getting away with it, you right. know, like, oh, you can cheat on your wife and do all these things. And when they make a biography of you, You'll they're still, still going to paint man. you as this yeah. great husband. And it also bothers me because a lot of people don't make any effort to like see who a person really was. It's like they accept the movie version as canon, essentially. Right, right, and like right. this yeah. is this is how, how that person was. Yeah. And it also just bothers me because I'm like, I know that he's still alive. And so maybe people tread lightly in that kind of situation. But I don't understand why we need to encourage this kind of hero worship to such a degree that it's like we can't even admit people's flaws, Mm -hmm. you know. So I went into it being like very frustrated. And so when Jonathan entered the scene and it became very clear that he and Jane had feelings for each other. Dude, as soon as Daredevil walked onto the camera, I was like, oh, they're going to fuck. Well, like, that's not even, like, ugh, it was so it clear was, from the yeah, moment one. Yeah, the way, is so, yeah, as soon as she goes to the choir and, you know, the choir director is, like, a handsome young man, I yeah. was like, oh, my God. And so... Literally, before he even turned around, like, I didn't even realize that it was Charlie Cox at first. It was just sort of like, oh, the choir director is, like, a hot young guy? Like, I'm sure that's where this is going. And then as soon as he turned around and he was Charlie Cox, I was like, oh, she's definitely going to do him later. Well, but it just... (laughs) I was very annoyed. And then when it becomes clearer and clearer that that's the way their relationship is going, and then when she has another son, Mm -hmm. the fact that you know, Hawking's parents are like, we have a right to know if Timothy is really Stevens or if he's Jonathan's. First of all, I was like, no, you don't. I'm impressed and, you remembered all those names. Right yeah. Now. And because I was annoyed. Um, and <laughs> that's um, when you borrowed my notebook that, and wrote, you have to be effing kidding me with this. Yes. Because I was just like, if we are not only going to make this movie about, oh, the great romance of Hawking's life, but we're now going to paint his wife as the villain. Right. Like, look, he's dealing with all of these struggles and she's cheating on him the evil like filthy strumpet like how dare she <laughs> i appreciate you using the very british term. yes um that was the one like sorry the most was, english thing that's yeah. ever been said quick side note there is not a lot of humor in this movie and our audience didn't laugh at shit well we had a very small audience yeah but when when she when her mother says maybe you should go to the church, the choir, church choir and she says i think that's the most english thing anyone's ever said i laughed out loud and then like sharply realized i was the only one laughing <laughs> no it was very funny um but I was just like, I'm going to go insane if that's the – because, again, I didn't realize it was based on her memoirs and stuff. But I was like, if that's the tack this movie yeah. is going to take, like, St. Stephen Hawking and his terrible wife who started cheating on him with the able-bodied hot choir director, <laughs> I'm going to that's lose fair. my mind. That's totally fair. Luckily, that is not what happened. No. But like, I was going to say – I think – I was going to say, I like that, you know, it seemed like – she really just did steam between, like, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And she and Jonathan seemed to handle it, at least in the movie, very, like, maturely. And I really loved the camping scene, even though I'm not really sure why it happened. I don't understand where they were taking those kids camping and why they were taking those kids camping. Because he was like, Jane's going to need help. And I get that that was supposed to be, like, him giving him their blessing. But I'm like, if you think about it, him going out of town makes her life easier like only having the children and not him is probably like a vacation for her so i don't understand why she needs help with anything because he's going out of town no it was supposed to be uh that she was supposed to meet them in bordeaux he was but i don't understand why she needs help with that like i said it's easier for her just to have the kids well i think the idea was like you know as opposed like you can't go from england to bordeaux all in one go she hates to fly so 
You get on one train, then you get on another train. Well, did the tunnel exist? Fine. I don't. If the tunnel didn't exist. The tunnel did not exist in the 60s. Well, then you I can have tell you that. To fly. England no. is an island. Then you have to. If there's no tunnel, you have to fly. Right. So again, why does she need help? I don't look. I don't know. <laughs> no, but I. It was presented as like I'm going to Bordeaux, and you should meet me in Bordeaux. Take the kids camping, and then meet me in Bordeaux, and bring Jonathan along to help you with the kids. You Maybe know? she took a boat. She could have Maybe taken a boat. Took a this was the ship 60s. from People England took to France. Boats. Took um, boats. Well, no, but what I was going to say is, I liked the camping scene because you see them building the tent together. Yeah, and you do get this sense of, regardless of how much she loves Stephen, and regardless of of their relationship and the strength of it, the ability, even just for a day, to see what it would be like if you had a partner who was could physically help. capable. Yeah, yeah, like who could help and who could like hold one side of the tent while you hold the other side of the tent yeah and who can like hold one kid while you hold the other kid it's like as much as you might love your husband it's like there has to be even for a second a part of you that's just like oh my god this would be amazing like, yeah. could you imagine what my life would be like if this were all the time well and i i agree but i also feel like like that's another good example of like i mean the tent thing is not really a montage but that's basically it's them putting this tent together it's a clip sequence yeah, there's exactly. no dialogue so like it's like, a cut back and forth what i would have loved to see is a scene of them putting this tent together and having an actual conversation yeah about i mean you, know, you see it in her, her face life but and it their would life be nice or whatever yeah. where it's just like you know, and you could have gotten all the same things across where it's like, let them have an actual conversation. Let them have like a real scene where they talk about things, whether it's her life with Steven or just seeing the two of them connect about music or something else. And then just, you know, a quick moment of like her being, you know, not being able to reach something and him being like, oh, here, let me help you. And like grabbing a thing and lifting it up. Well, but and- I mean, that's what they were doing with the tent. That's the sense I got from it. Cause like they're both putting the frame up. And like I said, he's no, holding no, no. one side, she's holding the other. No, I agree. So you get it. I do wonder though if it had happened the other way around if we would be saying like oh why do you have to dumb it down for the audience like why do you have to make it so obvious well no but again like I think that's one of those things where it's like no like have a have it be a scene about something else have it be a scene where they're putting this tent together and they're talking about something else so you can get them connecting about something Mm -hmm. like that's a completely different subject matter and you just have like a, like a little moment and it doesn't even have to be like a him reaching and her looking at him and like having it be like a big moment but just a subtle like oh him grabbing a th- like taking a thing out of her hand and like reaching above her yeah with something she clearly can't do herself and like him helping her and like letting that speak volumes right. you know as opposed to like 30 seconds of like flitty music and like <laughs> oh i will reach this thing and oh the tent fell on me and ha 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 like no i just wanted to see like they're british they don't do emotions <laughs> well that's the i thing. suppose you'd better have that's true no and uh, you know i just I, like i would have rather had again like all all of those montage scenes like i just would rather have them be actual dialogue scenes and i think that's you know partially that's like that's me i'm yeah i'm a dialogue fiend i want to have they're people... trying to show don't tell yeah i want to hear people <laughs> talking. no i don't want them to like talk about what the issue is i want to see them like talking about something else and demonstrating what the issue you know is right. what the subtext is and i feel like we get very little of that i feel like we get a lot of montages like visually demonstrating oh how happy we are or how sad we are or mm-hmm. whatever and then a lot of like people talking physics at the camera right and that's the other thing that i realized I about a, this movie I had an original point that we have since cut oh off i'm sorry really what was like your original point to? that we got sorry. off of um my original point in talking about like the camping scene was that then later 
once mm-hmm. Hawking has connected with his, you know, live-in nurse right. and they've decided they, you know, want to be together and he's telling Jane that they should go their separate ways and stuff and then you also have the scene where Jane gets the letter about his like possible knighthood and right, she's like right, showing right. it to Jonathan and yeah. everything and Jonathan seems very happy for him and they're reading the letter together. I was going to say like all those scenes together made it actually surprisingly to me a very like compassionate and fair take to both of them you know it was like we just couldn't do this anymore like we fell for other people this wasn't working it it we can't do it it's not what he wants it's not what she wants and so they've parted ways and it just all seemed very kind and sweet and mature and so I was very pleased I was pleasantly surprised because it's not what I thought it was going to be with the whole like who's Timothy's father scene I was like ah I was bracing myself to be so angry and to like rail on the podcast about how much I hate this movie and so I was very surprised by the end with how how lovely it really was no I agree I wrote down both cheat in my notebook (laughs) which is like yeah because I like I knew that he left his first wife for his nurse I did not know that she was like with like I did not know the Jonathan subplot as well so yeah I also kind of agreed I I like that there was like yeah it was a balanced subplot it wasn't just like oh she's a horrible cheating wife or like oh he left her for his nurse yeah. or whatever it was like no they the each more nuanced were, take on yeah they were both sort of you know in a bad situation and like they just sort of made the best of it and they found you know they found people that they needed to be with or you know that didn't bring all of that emotional baggage along with it mm-hmm. um so no i liked that i i had uh you know, a little bit of an issue with uh, the passing of time, though, in this mm-hmm. movie, where, you know, and, and part of it is, like, it really hit me at the end, with the, you know, the little title card at the end, where it's like, he's now, like, 75, and he has no plans to retire or whatever. It's like, it's, and part of it is because he, I'm not going to say he doesn't age, but, you know, he's a guy, he's in a wheelchair, like, you don't get a sense of his physicality right. when you see him in person or whatever, so you don't necessarily see the you know the effects of age on him as as prominently as you do with an able-bodied person yeah. because i think you get it more on her though the way her hair oh, no, sorry, change no, 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 no. and her clothes I, no, no, no. change i mean like actual stephen hawking in reality oh, like oh, oh. when like you know he was in an episode of star trek the next generation where he plays poker with like einstein and newton and data <laughs> like you go watch that einstein, clip newton and data and data you can watch that <laughs> clip and then like see a picture of him from you know like a year or two ago and it's not like cr- he doesn't look like crazy older and part of that is because of his like his physical disabilities you know mm-hmm. like it changes the way he looks so you don't necessarily see that sort of ravages of age he's not really balding or anything and his skin i mean his skin is more wrinkly but you know he also has kind of a you know a particular facial expression i guess by the time they've met the queen I mean, so that's after he's written his book, A Brief History of Time. That came out in 1988. So this is like late 80s, early 90s, essentially. No, I got that by the clothes and the hair. So, but it feels like they don't age super strongly in the movie. So it's like when they get to that, that scene where like their kids are out playing by the fountain and they say, look what we made. And you actually see the kids and, and the, the oldest, the son's oldest kid like is like 18. Yeah. You're yeah. like, when the fuck did that happen? Like, I think the best years, aging, years jump. And the you best don't really aging notice. was actually done on the friend. Like when yeah. he's in the audience watching Absolutely. Hawking speech, you're like, Oh wow. You look he's way much older. older to yeah. the point that I was like, is that the same actor? Is that a different actor? I was like, no, that's the same actor. And, and David Thewlis also. Yeah. David Thewlis also ages very well. They change his hair a lot. But yeah, yeah it just feels like but you're... But it's really, you're... you have to watch her. Yeah. Like, and not even her face, because I don't... Like, 
I didn't realize how much they had aged her face until they started doing the backwards time thing. Yeah. Um, and then you get to see her at the beginning of the movie again, right, and then right, you realize right. how yeah. different she looks. But mostly, honestly, it's her hair and makeup. Like the way her, oh, sure. I'm sorry, her hair and clothes. Her the hair way changes her, the a lot. The way her yeah. hair and clothes change yeah. was for me the passage of time because you could see when it got very 70s and you could see when it got 80s, you know? Yeah, but I also feel like, you know, there was probably, at some point there was an implied passage of like the better part of a decade that I just like didn't fucking notice, you know? Or it was like, oh, I guess it's way later than I realized, you know? Because there are like no like title cards to say like five years later or 10 years later or whatever like it moves very organically but you get like very little sense of how much time has actually passed in between scenes you know so it's like all of a sudden it's basically 1990 and you're like fucking when did that happen how did how did 30 years pass in this movie i don't understand well let's talk about that last scene let's talk about him getting out of the fucking wheelchair how did you feel about him getting out of the wheelchair to pick up the pen? Well, but again, that's a scene that would have, like, meant more if they had played out the rest of the movie differently. Yeah. Because we never, ever saw him or heard him or got any kind of hint that he was struggling with this disease. Like, obviously, you assume anyone who has ALS is struggling with it and is yeah. not happy about it. But you never actually see any of that. Like I said, like, they just kind of seem to chug along. Like, yeah. this is life, tra-la-la-la-la. <laughs> and so the fact that at the this very... This is life, tra-la-la-la-la. Yeah. Sorry, oh, that was my racist. computer... <laughs> yes, um, computer racist. So the fact that then at the very end, you get this scene where it's... I'm trying to remember what the person was asking him. I feel like it was. It was. It was. was it you don't God? believe. Yeah. It was. You yeah. don't believe in God. Do you have like, a philosophy that has helped you through? Because I feel like that was almost like trying to. Like I can't tell if they were trying to make some greater statement about do I believe in God? Well, if there were a God, I could get out of this wheelchair and pick up that pen that that girl has just dropped. Right. But I can't. So what does that tell you about my belief in God? Like. I don't know if they were trying to be, like, that heavy with it or if he was just, like, getting distracted and, like, Jesus, I wish I could just pick up that girl's pen. Like, why? I hate that I can't just pick up that girl's pen. Yeah. You know? That's kind of how I view it. Yeah. I don't know what they meant because we never got a single scene of, you know, him, like, railing it at God or telling Jane, this is why I don't believe in God because look at me. Um, we never saw him struggling with it. We never got a sense from him of how he felt about having this disease yeah. ever. No, I agree. So then just like having him like get up and pick up the pen and then it cuts back to him like still sitting in the wheelchair. I don't know what to make of it because the movie didn't give me any of those building blocks yeah. to no, know what I'm supposed to make of it. And that's the part where like I had that like high school forensics flashback where it was like – you know, I, that feels like it's a moment that's supposed to really get the audience of, like, seeing him get up out of the chair and, like, his feet, his ankles straighten out and he reaches. And it's like, no, it's just like it feels completely hollow. It feels yeah. like you didn't actually give me any of the any you of the foundation the, need for that payoff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that whole that whole bit. And like, not only that, but it's like so there's that bit which did not play right at all for me. But then, you know he answers the guy's question the guy's question is like you don't believe in god do you have a philosophy that has helped you and he gives this little speech about like 
as long as you're alive, you can fight and you can, you know, there's a way to do what you want to do. And it's supposed to be this big inspirational moment. But there's no sense before that, that, you know, that he's been, that his physical illness has in any way, like, impaired his ability to do his work. Right. You don't see him, like, struggling against his illness yeah. to write a book or to form his theorems or whatever. Yeah. It's just sort of like, well, I was sick and I thought of some things and whatever. And I realize that, you know, physics is a hard thing to represent on film. Like, right. it's not a visual, con like... It's literally people thinking of stuff and doing math. Like mm -hmm. you, you can't. It's a hard thing to visually represent and make interesting in a movie. But there's just there's so little struggle and so little subtext mm -hmm. about that beforehand that then having him give this like big like quasi inspirational speech at the end just feels like. I mean, I guess, yeah. but fucking what? It, well, this doesn't connect to anything yeah. that's come before. Well, because I expected that when they first diagnosed him and since he was working on his thesis and he had just met Jane and everything, I expected that we were going to see some scenes of, for example, he he's like I saw it clear as day in my head when the movie started that we were going to get some scenes of exactly that. Like he's trying to do his work. And he's trying to write his book. Yeah. And he's trying to come up with these equations. But he can't physically pick up the pen to write it. Right. So he's got to dictate it. And so I imagined him like trying to dictate it to Jane, for example, and trying to tell her what to write down. Yeah. But she's not a physicist. and so Especially when they brought that clear plastic board thing Well, no, but this was even up. before yeah. that. Like when he still could speak right, very right. well, but couldn't pick – like speak mostly well. Like other people but couldn't – But she's got to interpret Yeah, but like – yeah, 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 exactly. Like other people couldn't always understand him, but she could – and so when he's at that point where, like, his hands really don't move, but he can still kind of speak. Right. And he, I imagined him, like, trying to dictate to her, like, okay, well, no, then it's, like, a sigma, and you have to put, like, a, a, like a two on top. Yeah, trying to dictate And then math. it's, like, a plus, exactly. you know, and her getting it wrong, and him getting annoyed, and being like, God, I wish I could just write it myself. This is so slow going. I just want to be able to get my ideas out. I have all these ideas. I can't. And, like, the difficulty of that... But you never see any of it. It's yeah. like, this is a man who wrote a bunch of books about very complex topics when he can't even pick up a pen and can't always speak clearly. That couldn't have been easy. Yeah. And we don't get to see any of it. <laughs> have you ever read A Brief History of Time? No. It's one of my favorite books. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've read it. Like, I mean, I own it. I also own his other book, uh, Black Holes and Baby Universes. They're both on the bookshelf right behind you. Mm -hmm. um, I love I love Brief History of Time. It's really fucking good. And there is a kind of a weird sense in the movie where it's like he puts out this book and like all of a sudden he's a celebrity. But that's kind of the thing about his, you know, his story is that, you know, he has a conversation with his dad earlier where he's like, oh, you're like you're you're famous, like you're you're internationally renowned, and he's like, yeah, but not for being a rock star. Like yeah. I'm known in physics circles, and you know, for math in math among mathematicians, but like people don't know me. And he wrote this book, and like that's when he became like a you know famous among normal people because he writes this book where he can just you know explain things like the Big Bang and black holes, and and do it in a really simple layman's sort of way mm -hmm. um and there's like a little it was gr like great because there's a little bit when in the bit in the part where he's writing the book uh 
there's his like computer voiceover where he talks about um, the 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 Tower of Turtles mm-hmm. um, being being on the on the back of a turtle, and that's like the first chapter of of a brief history of time is this model of the universe in which like well the world is balanced on the back of a giant turtle and someone says well what's underneath the turtle and the person says well it's turtles all the way down you know like it was this like weird apocryphal like you know old thought model of the universe and he tells it as sort of a fun story but like here like and hearing that in the movie i was like oh yeah i remember that from the book that was like that's that's a great little like simple callback um but yeah i love i love that book like i mean it walked on i wanted to read that book again because i haven't read it in a while and i kind of want to go back and reread that book again um but yeah i don't i mean like i said at the very beginning like these are these are two really good performances eddie redmayne felicity jones they're both doing just great fucking work here um and they've got they've got really good chemistry together. I just feel like it's kind of rushed. Like mm-hmm. you get these like individual scenes of them where they connect really strongly and they're really good, but like you don't get any of the bigger picture sense of like their relationship and yeah. what their interactions are actually like. You just and get I these like, like that it handful like of strong been scenes. On, like, two dates before it was like, well, I love him and I want to be with him and I'm going to help him through this and everything. Yeah. I was just kind of like, if you say so. There was also a moment for me where like you know when she finds out that he's sick, and she like you know goes into his room, or she goes to see him and she's like, oh you know come out with me. Play or yeah play croquet with me or i'm never coming back here again like for someone with a physical muscle disease like there's something that feels like i understand the intention there which is to try and be like you can fight this like you know like show yeah. me that you're willing to not just like sit in this chair and die and like you know and i'll be with you but there's also like the way the scene actually plays out where she just stands there and watches him like smack this fucking ball around the lawn feels like kind of degrading in a way. No, I had a totally different take on that scene. I thought it was less like, oh, well, you have this muscle disease. And I, I thought it was more like because he was pushing everyone away and being like, just just get out. Just yeah, yeah. don't talk to me. I thought it was her trying to be like, look, I'm here. I'm in it. I still want to spend time with you. Right. Like, if you want to spend time with me, then, like, get up now and let's go do something together or I'm never coming back. Right. Um, but my sense of watching them play croquet, I had a totally different take on it. I thought it was, like, caveat, I don't know the rules of croquet. <laughs> um, but it seemed like because she was never taking a turn, yeah. what I got from that was that she was watching this guy who's so like in my head it was like how when I play mini golf and everyone keeps just trying to tell me like well if you hit the ball exactly here then the angle will make it go into the cup and I'm like I know that I understand basic geometry I know exactly where I need to hit it for the angle to be right it's just that when I hit the ball it doesn't go in that place right you know but it's so assuming that croquet is similar in terms of like you have to hit things at certain angles to make them hit this thing. And if you don't, then it's someone else's turn is kind of what I gathered. So what I gathered, because she never picked up a mallet and she never hit anything, that he was just like hitting the being ball amazing. Yeah. Like he wasn't losing his turn because he was hitting everything perfectly. 
because of his physics mind, he knew exactly where he needed to hit it. And so he just kept doing it and was like going, 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 going. And she was never getting a turn. And so I felt like she was just getting upset because it's like, here's this guy who's so brilliant and so capable that if you play croquet against him, you are never going to get a turn because he's just going to keep hitting, 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 hitting. And you realize he's not going to be able to do that for much longer. And so I think she just got very upset realizing what was about to be lost. I mean, I guess. I just felt like, you know, if you really... Maybe that's not how you play croquet, in which case I have totally misinterpreted the intention of that scene. I used to know the rules of croquet. I don't (laughs) really remember. We had a Fisher Price croquet set when I was a child. (laughs) I highly doubt we were playing by the rules ever. (laughs) I just feel like, you know, if you want to actually be supportive in that moment where it's not a matter of like, okay, like obviously, yes, they gave him a two-year prognosis and he dramatically outlasted that but you know it's not a matter of like well if you just work harder like you can overcome this illness like you can overcome it in that you won't die but like you're still going to be become physically debilitated so i feel like the more like empathetic thing like to do in that situation is be like oh like i don't care if you can't go out and play croquet like i'm just gonna be here because i want to be with you so like Making him go out and do a physical activity just feels kind of weird and mean. Well, but in a maybe way. it was also trying to be a sense of like sucking the marrow out of life while you still can. Yeah, maybe. You know, like soon you're not going to be able to go out and do yeah. all this stuff. So you shouldn't just be like while you still have two good legs and two good arms. Yeah. You cannot just sit in a chair and watch TV. Like soon that's going to be all you can do physically. So yeah. like let's go outside and let's do something intellectually all those things like resonate with me but in the moment i was just like what the what is happening in this moment like why is she doing this this seems like really like passive aggressive in a weird way no i like that scene i think she was trying to get him up get him into things but then like i said i i interpret play that way i I interpreted it as like then she realized just how much was about to be lost and she just like got very upset thinking Mm -hmm. about how unfair it all was that like here's this brilliant guy who can do so much and soon he won't yeah um well that's pretty much all i have in terms of my notes did you have anything else you particularly wanted to address we've been talking about this for a bit yeah, I don't think so. I think I'm good. Okay, well, then it's that time. It's time for Heart of the Ghostbusters. Oh, I forgot about that part. Heart of the Ghostbusters. Who do you want to have a drink with? Who's your drinking buddy? Man. Who do you want to hang with in this movie? Oh, I I know. I know. I don't know his name. Either his real name or his name in the movie. But I want the guy from Doctor Who. Which, oh, okay. I don't know if it's actually the guy from Doctor I, Who. It has to be. It looks just like him. I'm yeah. going to look him up. Like I was with you at the beginning that I think it's that guy, but oh, as it, it went on, more and more like him. No, as, it as went the on. scenes went on, I was like, I think this guy is too young to actually be that guy. That's possible. In um, the first couple scenes, I was like, yeah, it's totally that guy, and then later, I was like, I don't think it's that guy. Aha! I'm right. I win. It is that guy. Tell me I'm right. Harry Lloyd. Tell His name me was I'm Brian. right. His name was Brian. Tell me I'm right. I, I look I Oh I do remember his name was Brian now. Just say the words. What's wrong with you? You're right. I wasn't uh-huh. saying that. I just I was at first he I was, was like, 31. oh, it's definitely he that guy. Alright. They I was saying they might have just aged him down in the beginning and then aged him up oh, yeah, later. They aged all of them down. Yeah. Um Yeah, no, I'm going with that guy. Not just because I love him in those two episodes of Doctor Who Doctor Who. Um what? Nothing. Uh 
but also because I just really love him in that move in this movie. Yeah, I think I, he's great. I it's a very loved, understated part, yes, but I think he does good. He stuff does with great it. stuff with it. I loved the scene where Hawking first tells him he's sick. Yeah, because he's got that like great like I'm gonna try to be a supportive friend and like joke with you, but then at the same time when he realizes oh you're serious, sick, I'm gonna is, give he's you like, shit. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, and, like, he tries to be such a good friend, and Hawking's like, no, get out. And so then he, like, makes the effort to, like, go to Jane, because, like, Jane doesn't know why she's just been rejected and stuff like that. So he, like, makes the effort to, like, tell her, to, like, yeah. sit her down and tell her what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, But then just, like, how great he is at, like, the way they, like, rib him, like, when he's starting to become a physics superstar and stuff, and the way they, like, tease him and rib him. And, like, yeah. they're so happy for his success, but they still just, like – tease him and give him a hard time like friends do and he's the one who carries him up the stairs and like puts him in the statue's arms and everything and then he's there at the end when he's giving his speech you know to the students and taking the q a and everything and i don't know he He is very teary-eyed at the end yes and that was what it was like again because i was like this whole speech does not really feel deserved so like when he's all like weepy at the end i was like meh whatever that does not feel (laughs) deserving of that emotional output but he also just seems like on the very like the fact that he put hawking in the statue's lap and everything like how does jane manage like that guy he just seems like i want to have a drink with that guy and he was clearly also a super smart cambridge guy he probably has a lot of very interesting conversation topics and stuff like that um oh i like that guy what that guy was also okay. So you you, you so haven't excited? you haven't watched this, but he was also in Game of Thrones. Who was he? Okay, so for the podcast listeners, Jamie did not like the first couple seasons of Game you of know Thrones. No, I did not. In that, like every time I would watch it, she would walk in. It would be a scene in a brothel. There would be a scene of people fucking, and she was like, "What is this show? This is bullshit." But she's watched. That's, that's okay. Your description of that scene is generous. No, no. I'm just saying that, like, every time I w- you walked in on me watching that show, it would be, like, it were just a really like terrible scene. characters having sex, I'd be like, okay, HBO. This was, like, lots of naked women doing terrible, horrible, degrading things in the background while two male characters would have a serious conversation in the foreground and i was like you poor ladies get a new agent like you said yes to this because you need to make rent and this is horrible and terrible and you probably felt horrible and terrible while you were doing it and they are exploiting you and this is not fair yeah i will never go back and watch those seasons i don't care what people say to me that's whatever that's fine uh but you've watched the later seasons. Yes. You got into it like in yes, like season I see three, now season that he four. He was a Targaryen. Yeah, he's Khaleesi, the mother of dragons. He's her older brother. If you would make me an edit of just his scenes, I would watch them. Well, we can just you watch. You can also scenes. make me just Khal Drogo scenes because I've never seen those either, and I would kind of like to see her, Aquaman with dragons. Her subplot is kind of great. Look, we own the first couple seasons. We can watch just those scenes if you All want. Right. Uh, but he's got a great subplot, and he's got a great, 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 like, all-time Game of Thrones moment near the end. I'm so, assuming like, it's a death scene because yeah. he's not on the show anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> he's got an all-time Game of Thrones death scene. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in the whole show. So I, mean, uh, I didn't realize it was the same guy. His he's two episodes of Doctor, of Doctor Who, Human Nature, and Family of Blood are two of my all-time favorite yeah. episodes of Doctor Who, and he has one of my all-time favorite scenes in my all-time favorite episodes. So I yeah, will you like that episode a lot more than I do. I, I think don't they're know fine. How you but... don't like. I could write like a thirty-page thesis <laughs> on those two episodes. No, I think I good. love those two episodes, and like I could take different texts with it too. Like My it could problem... be about the nature of humanity, could be about war. Like I could write 
so many things yeah. about just those two episodes. No, they're really Why good. Why aren't I in grad school anymore? I Look, because you graduated. <laughs> you graduated from graduate school. Uh, look, my only issue with that, with those episodes, is that I, you know, I think for me, Doctor Who, like, the best Doctor Who episodes are the ones with really good Seriously, villains. Seriously, though, we had a whole thing in one of my classes about, like, muscular Christianity, like, that whole set of of like Victorian children's books that were all like set in boarding schools and like how they played sports and like went to chapel and their basic like goal was just to like go to the war and be soldiers and like what that meant and how destructive it could be. If I had watched those two episodes before I took that class, the paper I could have written. (laughs) I want to write it now for fun. This is what you've married. Yes, I know. Would like uh, to write a 10-page paper about Victorian children's lit meets Doctor Who and putting those two in conversation with each other for fun. My wife, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, for me, like, Doctor Who, the best episodes of Doctor Who are the ones that have really strong villains, basically. You know, like, the Doctor is always the Doctor, and he goes to different places, he does different things. So unless he's either in a particularly cool, weird place, like, physically like a different world or a spaceship or whatever or he's encountering like a really awesome villain like those are the things that really stand out for me and so like yeah he's in you know like the 50s and it's boarding school or whatever the, the, for- the 40s the 40s i'm sorry it's world war Two. so it's like uh, isn't it i thought it was, world war sure it was world war one maybe it's world war one i don't know whatever he's on earth in England, it's always in on the Earth past. in England. No, the, the, I like the it's ones where he's BBC on other planets. Show. No, I like the ones where he's on other planets. <laughs> I like the ones where he's dealing with aliens and shit. Those are some of my favorite ones because you know Star Trek. He is dealing with aliens. But my point is, like those aliens are kind he's of boring. He's not the Doctor. He's human. It's amazing. No, that's the interesting part about those episodes. Like the whole, what kind of man is yeah. that? Him seeing him, like not knowing himself. Like that's the that's the, what makes those episodes interesting. The, the actual antagonist in that episode, like the Scarecrow army, is like kind of boring. But I just think it's fantastic the way he, like this particular actor, calls the headmaster out on the fact that they're training these boys to be soldiers like it's this amazing thing that they should be shooting for. No pun intended. And he and I just love I love that line where he's like, all your little soldiers lined up in a row just to fall down in the mud. Do you think they will thank you, the man who taught them it was glorious to do so? I think there's so much to unpack in that one sentence. Yeah, I mean, I guess. There's your 10-page paper right there. I, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's one sentence. I uh, kind of don't care. Oh! Uh, I, I don't know. Whatever. Love it. Anyway, Whatever. I want to have drinks with that guy. Whatever. It's fine. I want to have drinks with that guy. Uh, my Heart of the Ghostbusters, uh, I really wanted to make a case for Emily Watson because what the fuck is Emily Watson doing in this movie? <laughs> Jane's mother for like I, two scenes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, she literally does nothing in this movie. I was like, oh, Emily Watson, you're so much better than having a scene and a half in this movie. I don't understand. I think she's unfortunately hit that age where Hollywood and by extension British Hollywood Doesn't has no idea her. what to do with you. Yeah. And they don't write parts for you. Yeah, so it's like, this is what you've got playing she, the like, main character's mother in two scenes. But that's the thing. I also realized like I hadn't seen her in a movie in such a long time. It was like she kind of had a moment and then disappeared and then like and then she was like a wall. I was like, oh, and now you're in this movie for a scene and a half. Like I, I just, I, I feel like I, I'm waiting for her to come back around. I'm waiting for her to like, yeah. In five or ten years, she's gonna like hit another age sweet spot where she gets to play interesting roles again. Uh, and I'm waiting for that to happen because Punch Drunk Love, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, 
I think I'm going to go, and this is weird and antithetical based solely on the text of the movie, but my heart of the Ghostbusters, I'm going to go with Stephen Hawking's dad, Mm. who I love. Like, I like that actor a lot. I think he's really fun in that movie. Like, he's only got, again, he's also only has a couple of scenes, but he's, he's got kind of a... A wonderful upbeat spirit to him and like there's that great there's a nice scene with him and jane where it's not like he's trying to he's not like disapproving of her and he's not like trying to talk her out of like being with him but mm-hmm. it's like look this is the deal you know like if you're gonna sign up for this this is what you're signing like know what you're what you're signing on right. to right here um and i also like the scene later where he is you know, being very frank to Steven and being like, you need live in health. You have a third baby. Like you can't do this shit by yourself now. Like you can't put her in that position. I feel like he's got kind of a very like no holds barred, like honesty to him, but he's also really fun. And the reason I say it's antithetical to the text is because of the like three or four scenes that he has, like the longest one is of him passing out his shitty homemade wine that nobody (laughs) likes so like i do not want to drink his shitty elderberry wine but or elderflower wine but i do feel like he would be a lot of fun to to hang out with instead yeah exactly (laughs) i want to go to the pub and have a pint with that guy Um, i wanted it to be david thewlis because i love david thewlis i think he's wonderful i just feel like i wanted that character to have more to do Mm -hmm. in this movie you know um, I also really like, uh, you know, Roger Penrose, great, like, historical character, uh, math- brilliant mathematician, and I, I kind of, I like that actor, he played, uh, he played Orson Welles in that Zac Efron, me and Orson, or whatever, mm-hmm. Orson and I, yep. and me and Orson and my three sons, whatever it was. My two Orsons. Uh, yeah, my two Orsons, <laughs> thank you, that's, that was the joke, thank you for finding it. Uh, my two Orsons. Um, I think he's really good in that movie. I, you know, he's got a scene and a half here. He doesn't have a lot to do, but I, I really wanted David Thewlis. I was as soon as he was in, I was like, yeah, David Thewlis doesn't really get a lot of interesting stuff to do. Um, and moreover, like you get a sense of in that last scene or that that scene where he's giving the address to the audience and he introduces Hawking, um, and he's like, oh, you know, he's a brilliant man and my dear friend, and you get a sense of like you don't really know what this guy is like. You know, like, you work with this guy, kind of, but, like, you do not deal with his, like, daily struggles. Like, I would have liked to see him or Brian, the Doctor Who guy, like, actually a part of his, like, day-to-day life and, like, like, struggling with, like, wanting to relate to their friend, but, oh, we can't go out for a pint, and we, it's hard to actually have a connection with you. I would have liked to see that happen. Did not happen in this movie. So. Well, I think that just about does it for the theory of everything. Uh, I mean, final thoughts? Good performances? Mediocre film? I think we discussed everything. Yeah. Um, Next week, you know, first of all, Bart will be back next week. Um, I don't don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, You and I are going to go see The Imitation Game uh, this coming week. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think... So excited! Yeah, I, I'm excited. Another another genius I am, biopic. I am willing to place my money on the fact that I will come out of these two screenings thinking Cumberbatch over Redmayne for you know the potential Oscar race. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I can't imagine thinking anyone did a better job in anything than Cumberbatch. Well, except I, for maybe Ian McKellen, who is also on my list of greatest living actors. I after know. We saw those two plays. Yeah, yeah. The the 
waiting for Godot and No Man No Man's Land. No Man's Land, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's Broadway. You don't get Oscars for Broadway. Oh my God, though, you get Tonys. Did yeah, you, you win do. one? Yeah, you do. Um, I, I've kind of, you know, I'm curious to see how the imitation game plays out. I've heard kind of the similar things where it's like, yeah, it's good performances, but the story is kind of like a little glossed over and it doesn't really hit the depths you want it to. So I, you know, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Um, I also have passes to see, uh, the Hobbit next week. Uh, and you're not going to be available to go see that no. with me. Um, maybe I'll drag Bart and Bart really doesn't want to go to the Hobbit, but maybe I can get him to come if he doesn't have to pay for it. Um, so I would really want to go and not have to pay for it. Cause I'm still mad at those movies, but I feel like i have committed enough that yeah, no, i me need too. to see the end of it and i know so i too. really wish i didn't have to pay for it but i have work things to do that night i know we'll figure it out so maybe we'll talk the hobbit maybe we'll talk imitation game maybe we'll talk a little bit of both i don't know um or maybe we'll finally split this podcast into you know the movie the news podcast and the movie of the week podcast i don't know we'll see what happens next week the whole thing could be you know a jumble of mishmash i have no idea um, but we're, I'll tell you what we're not going to see Exodus gods and Kings. We're definitely not going to go see that movie. Um, but you know, regardless, Jamie, thank you for stepping up in Bart's absence, being here to make the podcast happen this week. You know, it's lovely to have you. I appreciate you. Uh, mm-hmm. and you're my wife. So I guess I love you too. That's uh, cool too. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, you can of course follow along on the blog dailyscreening.com. You can uh, follow on Facebook and on Twitter uh, at Daily Screening, uh, and uh, you can also uh, follow the podcast here on iTunes uh, and on SoundCloud. If you're not an iTunes person, uh, you know Daily Screening on SoundCloud. Uh, we've had fun talking. I hope you've had fun listening. Have a lovely evening and a fantastical tomorrow.